Are you looking to build your church's group ministry? Get the training and resources you need with All Access, a new plan from the Small Group Network. I'm James Browning with the Small Group Network. For $49 a month or just $4.90 a year, you get All Access to courses, workshops, coaching, and more. Plus, half off all of our in-person events, including The Lobby and Accelerate. And the best part is, All Access is a church-wide license. That means every staff member, every volunteer, and every leader at your church is included for that same price. Head over to smallgroupnetwork.com slash allaccess to learn more and compare plans. All Access is your community unlocked. Welcome to Leadership Journey, part of the Group Talk Network of Podcasts. Join Bill Search as he walks you through biblical Christian leadership, gives you keys to personal growth and development, as well as dynamics of leading others that honors God. Open your heart and mind and enjoy Leadership Journey with Bill Search. Well, welcome back to the Leadership Journey. Uh, I'm pleased to welcome to the show today Dan Kimball. Uh, Dan is a pastor of Vintage Faith Church in the San Francisco Bay Area of California and is the author of a number of books. They all have like, Dan, you have the wittiest titles for your books. Uh, I remember the, I remember the emerging church when it first came out and uh, have an original copy somewhere hiding in my bookshelves. But uh, titles like They Like Jesus But Not the Church, Adventures in Churchland, and now my personal book of the year that I've been telling everybody they need is this book right here, How Not to Read the Bible. And I love the byline on it, Dan, making sense of the anti-woman, anti-science, pro-violence, pro-slavery, and other crazy-sounding parts of Scripture. And Dan, you need to know something. Rarely do I pre-order a book on Amazon. I can't figure out what the point of doing that is. And when I saw the title of the book, because I follow you on social media, I did just that. I pre-ordered that book. So uh, I hope everyone listening buys the book. But let me ask you just, well, okay, I should stop. Dan, thanks for being on. Oh, sure. Today. I was just saying, just when you saying see when the cover, see the cover, it has, cover it has, there's not there's too many that have dinosaurs, dinosaurs and, Jesus and Jesus on the cover. On the cover either, either. So. Yeah, here it is. Sorry, I hit my microphone, but there's the dinosaur. And uh, throughout the book, you really have great images in this. So, And even uh, my small group has just finished the six-part video series that goes along with the book. And uh, even the stuff on the shelves, every now and then members of my small group go, hit pause, I want to see that. Oh, that was an X-Wing, you know. You have cool things on the shelf behind you. Anyhow, that's uh, that's. Uh, we'll get to the video series a little bit later. But the, I would love for people who don't know you to get to know you a little bit. And in particular, you share this in the book, and I, I hope you're willing to share it just in, in sort of the, the, the bite-sized chunk, is you have a really interesting story of coming to faith in, as I recall, England, Scotland, something like that. And uh, can you just share that briefly? That way people get to know you a little bit here. Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, well, hello from Santa Cruz, California, down in the uh, beach town in uh, in the Monterey Bay. Uh, my I grew up in New Jersey, in a suburb of New York City, very close to New York City. And my parents were uh, they would have said that they were Christian, but they were more uh, like most in my neighborhood. You're either Jewish, or Roman Catholic for the most part, where I grew up at the time. Uh, so I wasn't like a church going person, I would have been just, there's probably God, but didn't think much about, about, about it until I went to Colorado State University 
And when I went to college, I started by seeing like little pamphlets that were out and kind of some strong statements about is, uh, I remember one in particular that said, is Jesus uh, or Jesus is the one way to God or something like that. And probably as like an 18 year old, I was very perplexed because I never considered that a religion thought that they were the only right religion in all of the world. And for some reason, like I had no friends that were asking me to, you know, go to a church meeting or parents that were saying you should be doing something. And I just think it was like, is this real? And and an openness. And I believe God's spirit just started causing an unsettledness in me to want to find out more. Um, so I just started like uh, wondering if it was true. And I bought a Bible and I bought some like, uh, I think it was a Josh McDowell book and and some other things like, where did this come from? I was reading some secular books in the library about world religions, because that was my kind of starting point. And and my this is an important point, and I'll get to the England part, uh, is that uh, my friends saw me buying these books and had a Bible. And there was one particular day that I was coming home, and it got all quiet when I walked into the room. And they and I could tell they were talking about me. I'm like, what's going on? And and I remember this so vividly because it was pretty life-shaping, which almost led to the writing of this last book, was they said, we're concerned about you, that you're reading these this Christian literature, because aren't Christians, um, you know, they're all, at the time, it was all about the end, the end of the world and revelation and different things was kind of in pop culture and you're wanting to see Armageddon. And they're saying, like, is that what you're going to become? Uh, is that what they believe? You know, are you going to lose your creativity? Are you going to become judgmental? Um, are you, uh, you know, is it a cult? You believe in a dead man that rose again from the dead, or you know, a man that rose again from the dead. And it was interesting because they were doing it out of care. It was not out of, you know, like mocking or, and the question for anybody, you know, it's just like, well, how do I know they're not right? How do I know Christianity isn't a cult? Like we believe in some strange things. And it made me it pushed me to a level of wanting to really know if this was true or not. And could my friends be right? That is Christianity a cult? And I was in a, I was in a, after we graduated, I was in a rockabilly punk band. We went to London, England, and this is where you asked about this. It was living in London and I had a little Bible and I was walking around. Uh, it was during a lunch break when we had temp jobs and there was a little tiny chapel. It was called Chapel of the Open Book off near the Moorgate station in London. Um, and I it said Bible study inside uh, uh, for lunch. And I peeked in and there's like three elderly people that were inside. And I would have ran away. Like when I opened the door, I'm like, it was too intimate. And the one guy looked up at me and he said, here for the study, like that. And I'm like, okay, because he was so kind. And I sat down and my life was changed because... They didn't judge me for my haircut. That was like three times higher than it is now. They didn't judge me for not knowing anything. They were patient with questions. They, they knew their faith and they were intelligent about it. And over time, I began learning more and more. I became part of a very small little church in London, England. Uh, and it was during that season where I, somewhere along the line, I remember like, I believe now. And so... It was due to, and that's why, and I, and I still keep, I'm going to, I know some are just listening. I'm going to turn my, my uh, camera here to the side. 
if you can see that, I'm on my wall next to my desk is a picture of this fellow right there, the one on the, uh, the right. These are four men that influenced my life greatly. And I keep a photo of him next to my desk here as a, someone who lived his life well and influenced a young guy in his 20s through a simple faith, no rock music, and just intelligence, love, and I knew he, he told me he prayed for me, and I believed it. And that was kind of my entry into faith. What a beautiful story. I, I, I When you talked about both the tract, um, I don't remember if it was in the video series or the book or both, but when you talk about a tract, you talk about uh, a church of elderly people in London. What really struck me is... I've spent my entire ministry life in the larger megachurch setting, which mm -hmm. has employed strategies and uh, leadership skills and training and all those things. And, and it's not to say those are bad things. It's just uh, it's a great reminder of the spiritual enterprise that the Holy Spirit is calling to people. And when they respond, they respond and something like attract a, a kind word from an elderly saint just draws in. And, and uh, I imagine there's people listening right now that aren't in large churches. They're not in churches that other people would see as cutting edge. And it's a great reminder that uh, there are other people out there that they can minister to in their setting that may, may not even uh, young Dan Kimball might not uh, darken the door of the church I currently serve. It might've been too big or imposing, but uh, there was something there. So what a, what a great story. I just, I love hearing stories of how people come to faith. I personally find that incredibly encouraging. And I love that you have a, a picture of him next to your desk. That is on next to my desk. I have one of my kind of spiritual fathers that I've lost. Uh, uh, and, uh, I look at that picture every day. I see, I see my friend Brett and it reminds me, okay, thank yep, you Dan, yep. for sharing that. Now, let me ask you about the book. What inspired you to write it? I mean, a writer has to make a commitment to a project and they have to, as they're thinking through the projects that they're considering writing, say no to a lot of things that are really good that they really like and then devote themselves. And there's a lot of books out there on how to handle the Bible. So what was it that made you decide this is a commitment you wanted to make to pour into this thing? Yeah, it was something um, out of necessity in many ways, being a local church leader in a college town uh, here in California. Uh, it, you know, it's just like anybody that's listening, whether you're a church leader or you're um, a Christian interested in, in uh, these type of things. It was over the years, I mean, I'm old enough now and I've uh, been in ministry in a local church for 30 years in the same town. So you see trends come and go, you know, and different challenges that there'll always be to the faith. And the one that's been happening more recently, uh, I think like in the 90s and the 2000s, and even, I guess, to some degree recently, too, it was all about style. It was about like, let's get, uh, you know, let's get the music to catch up, you know, whether it was irrelevant or the preaching was boring or all those type of things. And and I think we caught up in those things. Let's, you know, then it was like for the evangelical church, there's a lot of catching up on, on uh, being involved in local compassion and, and biblical justice issues that we sort of ignored. And then we 
kind of caught up in not on you'll never catch up but you know more focused on those things and i think what's been going on now it's not about uh, the criticisms of the faith aren't just about christian attitudes you know being judgmental or these things it's about is the bible credible and not even is the bible credible is the bible is evil and You'll see this over and over and over again. All of the deconstruction stories, you know, you'll hear bits and pieces of the Bible in it. You'll see um, the, the consistent criticism now is not about the faith being relevant or even just neutral. There's a growing uh, criticism of the scriptures themselves saying, how can you possibly believe in a God that is uh, endorsed slavery a God that was violent, you know, killed babies, uh, a, a Bible that, that advocates for um, anti-women sentiments and male domination over women and treating women poorly and all the stories in the scripture, including the New Testament, you know, a lot of anti-science sentiment about what you believe. And so it's been different because the Bible is now being not just kind of like is, you know, is the contradictions and those kind of things that's been there a long time, those criticisms, is it's actually an evil book. If you believe it, you're believing in a toxic, you're going to, uh, faith, you're going to be experiencing trauma to think that your parents told you you're a sinner, like all of these things. And so it was a response to these understandable questions uh, that is hitting right at the time when so many younger people, especially all ages, but we don't know the Bible that well. And so you're having all of these criticisms on TikTok, so many on TikTok, on memes, you know, like in the book, I put a lot of memes, and, and it's catching people off guard because they're not prepared how to answer these questions right in the time of questioning. And that's, I believe it's really fueling a lot of this ex-evangelical deconstruction part is Christianity is now seen not as even as neutral, but as evil and harmful. And people are leaving faith over it and avoiding faith because of it. So I had to write it. It's kind of like, we have to respond to this. Such an interesting distinction that that the the credibility of the document is one thing, and for a long time, the apologetics has been around how and why you can trust that the Bible is credibly handed down from generation to generation. But now we're in an era that people don't necessarily question that part. It's when they read it, they go, "How on earth can you also believe?" that this God is good. If the document, just trusting the document, there's stuff in there. Like one of the things you, you point in there, and it's, it's sort of comical. You mentioned it uh, on the front cover of the book. And I just wonder if you just give a, a glimpse into the book. Uh, mm -hmm. You talk about a unicorn that yes, you, yes. You, I think you went in for uh, get your hair cut or something like that. If I'm not, if I remember the story, right. And uh, the person that was uh, quaffing that beautiful head of hair of yours uh, is like, so you believe in unicorns or something like that. Am I right? Do I remember that bit? That bit? Yes. Uh, you said, you said a very important distinction that I hope people listening to this or watching this will really grasp. I think we've been defending, like you said, the credibility of the scriptures, or are they trustworthy? Um, you know, are they inspired? Like those kind of things. That was sort of the apologetics that was needed, and it's still needed. But now it is. Now, even if it's credible, how could you possibly believe in this God? Um, 
that and the and the, and what the scriptures say. So the unicorn story was I honestly did not know much about that there was unicorns associated with the Bible, and my barber who is non Christian, uh, and he knows I'm a, uh, a I'm so I serve in a church and knows I'm a Christian through our conversations, and he asked one day. Uh, I didn't know you had there, that there's unicorns in the Bible. And I said, I didn't either. Like, where do you see this? And he said, he saw it on Pinterest, I believe. And then on you know, as soon as you start exploring certain topics, then you'll see it all on, online. And so I went home and right away looked up. And sure enough, there were um, memes, you know, that would be, you know, having verse, Bible verses. I think there's eight different Bible verses that would say, using the English word unicorn, and, you know, saying, look, there's unicorns in the Bible with Bible references. And then a mocking of Christians saying, like, don't you know your Bibles? You believe in unicorns if you believe in this. And then there's even the extent to where it'll be like, why? what happened to the unicorns? And that's because they missed the ark. And there's jokes about, like, what happened to them? And now there's the, well, I won't even get into that. So, yeah, so yeah. Out of all, out a lot of, of things missed the ark. Yeah. yeah. Um, out of all of this. It, but he, the point of this, it, there's an easy answer on that one. It was simply a translation error in the 1611 King James Version. And there's a Hebrew word that means one-horned animal. And in most modern translations, it is a wild oxen because there was a prominent one-horned wild ox at the time that most likely is what it was referring to. And then in 1611, they just used the word unicorn one horn, and then we associate it in our culture as the mythical uniform with rainbows and and all that and all that other. But the point of this is that my barber was not looking for that. This is really important. This is what everybody really, really, really needs to understand. My barber was not looking for this. It's he just found it by being online. You go on TikTok. You go. You know. You see various memes on Pinterest and all these other places. And there's a rising flood of things that are pointing out stuff like this in the Bible that is permeating just pop culture in such a way that you almost can't miss it. And my barber saw this when he wasn't even looking for it, and he was confused about it. And since I'm a friend, he then asked me about it. But, but it's more than just unicorns, which is, ha- which is being criticized. That's why it is your God hates uh, you know, women. Your God kills people. It's your God is so violent, and then Bible verses being used, anti-science, pro-slavery, and you'll see this over and over and over again. And that's far more disturbing sounding than a unicorn. And it is being taught over and over and over and over again. That's why, if you have not yet seen it, all you got to do is type in like exvangelical on TikTok, and you'll see a flood of these type of things coming up. And who's watching that? 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 25-year-olds, you know, that age group is just intaking this constantly, and it's being taught as truth. I don't know a whole lot of people beneath the, you know, below 35 that are on TikTok. So to your point, one of the issues is there's a whole medium out there that is flooded with this 
and it's younger people. So there's a whole audience that's listening in right now going, I, I'm not, I haven't bumped into that. And part of that is the way search engines work. If you're not looking for that sort of stuff, you're not finding that sort of stuff. In fact, if you're probably a typical regular church attending, look up uh, christianbooks.com or whatever, probably what you're going to see in the ads and other way, uh, other spaces, Pinterest included, is things related to that, the way right, that right. the whole search engines work. And that's what most people don't realize. So if I am looking for deconstructing my faith, leaving Christianity, suddenly these things are going to show up, whether it's on social media platforms or just ads within Google or or images that bump in here and there. And so what, uh, so in the book, you, you, there's a couple, you, you're very good at the pithy phrase. That's one of the things I love about your writing, Dan, is that you, you have a way of taking, um, a big idea and bringing it into something that's almost uh, punchy, but uh, memorable. And one of the phrases that you have in the book is never read a Bible verse. And, uh, that, I mean, that has stuck with me. In fact, it, this is a fun one for you. Our small group, which just finished the series, one of the uh, kids that's uh, his parents are in our group, but the all the family comes over, and the kid was actually upstairs, didn't even know he was listening in. But when he when you talked about um, uh, never read a Bible verse, uh, it was later that week. The ten year olds in the back seat of his his parents' car, and he brought that up. He overheard that, and it stuck with him. So. Uh, there's a little encouragement for you, but what does that mean when you when you uh, when you express that? When you explain, hey, when it comes to how to handle the the scriptures, never read a Bible verse. What's that mean? Yeah, well, when I wrote the book, um, the, the, it's broken into six, as you know, because you went through it, six clean sections. And before I got into the slavery, you know, the uh, the, the violence verses and. Um, anti-science and anti-women sounding things, I wanted to start out with saying, like, what is the Bible so that we then can understand how to look at it to then try to make sense of the anti-women, anti-science, pro-slavery sounding verses. So the first section, uh, what you just mentioned, never read a Bible verse, what I did was I scanned, I mean, for most of the whole book, I scanned a lot of the top apologists and top theologians that are out there, trusted theologians, very important word, trusted theologians, and and took some of the best of what they did and then tried to write it in, I don't want to say like simple, but, you know, easier to read because they're not going to read like a big book on genocide in the Bible probably, but they might read, you know, 36 pages with, with graphics in, involved in it. And never read a Bible verse was one of the four things that I used in the first section of the book that came from apologist Greg Kokel um, from Stand to Reason. And he had an article that he called that never read a Bible verse. And he was just making the point that, you know, so often in the arguments that you're seeing online uh, or on in memes or on TikTok, they generally will quote a single Bible verse you know, about not eating shellfish, or then you're eating shrimp, or they'll pull out one verse about women be silent. You know, it is a disgrace for a woman to uh, speak up in church, you know, quote uh, Corinthians. And you'll see these verses pulled out with a graphic image on them, or just spoken on TikTok, and some maybe an image comes up. And they seem really powerful. And like, how do I respond to that? 
And the never read a Bible verse is, of course, you have to look at not just the verse, it's part of a, you know, either a letter or one of the, you know, one of the New Testament letters or uh, a book of the Bible, and then that's sections within the whole storyline of the Bible, where in the storyline is it. To just extract a Bible verse on its own can get you in a lot of trouble. But here's the problem, is that most, and I'm saying this in the good usage of the word, evangelical churches, evangelical in the original usage of the word is a good thing. Today it's seen as a, a bad thing, and it's constant, evangelical, evangelical, bad, bad, bad. The origin, origin of it is a, good, is a good thing. It was a bridge, basically it was a bridge between fundamentalism and liberalism. If you want to like a quick, easy definition of evangelical, it was in the middle. But um, so but what's occurring is most evangelical churches didn't teach how to read the Bible too well. And, and so many sermons were just pull, you know, pull out a verse and build a sermon out of it. Or, you know, coffee cups with nice verses uh, and good Bible verses. And we focus so much on the nice verses, extracting them by themselves. But then we didn't really focus on the not-so-nice sounding verses. And that's what's happening now. And many Christians are not prepared to respond to those because we've only been taught, you know, or we've just, we've done the wrong way too and just extracted Bible verses on their own and just the nice ones, which they are nice ones, but we bet, and, but there's been misuse of some of the nice ones too. That's a whole other topic. So that never read a Bible verse, a basic Bible study method. And I thank Greg Kokel for the, the term that he came up with there. Well, it's good to give uh, credit to him, but I, I loved how you wove that into the book because uh, it reminded me of the old hermeneutical rules going to Bible college. You went to Multnomah, as I recall. I went to Moody Bible. And yep. uh, those core classes uh, was read things in their context. and uh, But never read a Bible verse is so much more memorable. But that yep. Yep. idea that you're reading something in a paragraph, in a chapter, in a book, in a genre, and right, uh, right. even the way that you describe that the book is the Bible itself is not a book. It's a library of books, yep, which have yep. these different genres. And you have a good you have good graphics for that. Good images. By the way, we now use your book for our ordination candidates at my church. So uh, we have been looking for the right uh, modern book that, to your point, when I asked you, why'd you read, why'd you write this book? We even went through the process of trying to find a newer book that got to the issues. And we found books that would cover an aspect, but not merge together, both the apologetic side and the hermeneutical side. So well done on that. Oh, well, wow. so, that's okay, you're um, using, it, using like it like that. that. So, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm so happy, so happy that uh, uh, it's used in that way. That way. Well, I think uh, I think we'll convince. At least I hope to convince some people by the end of this that I hope by now someone's actually gone on Amazon and ordered it. There's one other in there that you um, you you use, and I can't remember if you said this came from John Walton or not. Um, but I I remember it was um, uh, it was the Bible, uh, the Bible is written. Is yeah, the Bible is written for us, not to us. That's a John yeah, Walton. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, no, this came from John Walton, John Walton yeah, a professor at Wheaton. Wheaton. Um, yeah. um, used and, to be, by yeah, the way, yeah. Dan, used to be Old Testament professor at the Moody Bible Institute. And he was oh, my he Old was, Testament professor. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. He's great. He's, yeah, I even no, had him preach in my church when I was out in Sacramento area. Ah, uh, okay. No. Um, I mean, I love, I, I, I really believe today also that church leaders, we, we have to, 
church leaders have so been fo- focusing on, you know, let's have the better music and figure out parking lots and, and all those things, which is needed. You know, leadership strategies, all very needed. But I really think if you're a church leader today, you got to really up your, your theology um, and really focus on that so much more. And, and I know some churches have, but generally they're kind of like a lot of the churches that are uh, in certain streams that may not reach a broader group of peoples. But so I just think the average church leader needs to really up their thinking about theology. And the good news, or I'm kind of sidetracking, but the really good news is I really am convinced by experience, not just theory, that younger people, if you're teaching theology in practical, exciting kind of ways, there is a hunger to learn. So I, I am very, I'm very hopeful about it because I really think, you know, the Bible Project, you know, is a great example, which is, you know, Tim Mackey and John um, over uh, in Portland, and they, they uh, you know, they're putting out all those videos, which are not like felt need videos of, you know, how to have a better marriage or those kind of things. They are just hardcore looking at what's the scriptures, how are they formed, and looking into them, you know, and they have millions of young people that are watching these videos. So I have great hope if we're doing it correct in a way that there's going to be great response. So that's the positive news out there. But back back to the Bible is written for us, but not to us, is we, we so, you know, all the criticism, an example is all the criticism of, you'll see it all the time. Like Christians, you pick and choose Bible verses. You're, why do you eat shrimp? Are you eating shrimp? So you're being a hypocrite there, but then you're not, you know, but then you'll say to not do these other things because the scriptures do say, you know, don't eat shellfish. Therefore, if you're eating shrimp, you know, all of these things and and all of the arguments about science in the Bible, we believe in a God that rose someone from the dead. We believe that Jesus literally walked on water like God does breaks all every scientific rule there is because he's God, right? And can, and our crux of our faith is about a man coming back from the dead uh, with Jesus. So that's anti-science to use that word. But so many of our arguments are always about the couple first couple chapters of Genesis. And you have to say, like, who is Genesis written to? It was not written to us. It was written for us. It was written to the people of Israel that were coming out of the desert for, after 400 years of being in slavery to the Egyptians and and their worldview was so much different and god was not so their questions weren't about the fossil record and about dinosaurs and all of the things that we tried to read in that's why the bible was written for us but not to us is really important because we want to jump in and extract out our questions of our day and we have to go back and saying in the original recipients of the holy spirit inspired words that were being written what was god communicating to them so uh, and and then and then look at what applies for us today or not. We get into so much trouble when we don't do that. Um, you know, when I was mentioning the shrimp, it, it's so common. You'll see it all over the place. You'll see it's so many non Christians also quote, you know, Leviticus about shrimp or don't touch the skin of a dead pig. Should you then be playing football? Which is ironic because footballs aren't made of pig skin, but they still some will still criticize that. All of these things. But it's like um, in in uh, in America in the law books because I, I looked up to see if this is really true and I saw it on several attorneys websites that there were laws put in place in the United States 
that sound very crazy to us today. And I use the one uh, illustration of the law that was, uh, there's a, a law in Arizona that says, do not keep a donkey in a bathtub. It's illegal to have a donkey in a bathtub. Yeah, and, you know, and, and so we read that today, and you go like, what in the world is that? Like, that's so bizarre. But if you were to go back, I think it was like 1923 or something like that, there was a farmer who kept a donkey in a bathtub, and there was some sort of like flood that occurred, and the bathtub washed into some sort of mud basin, and they had a hard time getting it out, and they had to make a law, don't keep that donkey in the bathtub anymore, so they put it in a lock, so they didn't want to have to keep retrieving the donkey out of that. And we look back on it now and like, that's extremely bizarre. What in the world? Yet, if you were back then, it would have been like, oh yeah, that's Farmer Joe's donkey. Of course. That's what we have to understand about the scriptures and some of the very strange things is that the original recipients of it would have understood it so much easier because that was their world. And that's not our world today. That means we have to do our research and get into the text and study it more so we're not coming up with all kinds of bizarre conclusions for today and totally misunderstanding the original tent that God had written that for. You know, uh, it's, I loved that part in the book because um, one of the um, cringy phrases that I've heard since I was a boy, not from every pastor, but I've heard it in different settings, He'll, he'd hold up that Bible and he'd say, this is a love letter from God. And even as a kid, I remember thinking, that's a weird love letter, man. I mean, I'd rather have sure. sweet nothings. There's a lot in there that I wouldn't, you know, if I got that as a love letter, I'd give back a restraining order. That's not, uh, but it, it's back to that. It's written for us. It's not written to us, right? Yes, which all of the scriptures, all of the scriptures, whether it's the violent verses or the verses about, you know, Levitical laws, they help us understand who God is his love for people, how he directed people through all of the years. So absolutely, it is written for us to know God better. But we don't apply, I mean, a simple one for today, you know, greet each other with a holy kiss is a command in the New Testament written several times. We don't, most of us don't practice that. You know, when we see each other in our church gatherings, we're not walking up to each other and giving each other a kiss. When I was 15 or 16, I was really hoping that we'd bring that one back in the youth group, but only targeted in one direction. But uh, I, my wife and I were in a church in Hana in Hawaii, and they were, they did do that. And it made me so uncomfortable. I had to run outside for a little bit until it was over. I'm very introverted. And I'm like, I'm not comfortable. And But they were a small church in Hana, which is a remote little spot in Maui. And um, they were practicing a beautiful church. But, you know, but we don't, it's an easy thing to say that. So it's someone that's listening that takes the scriptures, I'm holding, you know, seriously, are you disobeying God by not kissing people when the church meets? Like, no, we, we instead today, we hug, uh, you know, post-COVID, hopefully world, you know, we handshake, hold each other in that way. But um, it's not disobeying God. It's just that was the cultural context of what was going on there today. So it's not disobeying God. It's just looking, it's where we have to understand that it was written to a specific people group and a culture that that was the practice that's changed today. So we just have to um, understand what does that mean for us today? It means loving and accepting one another and embracing each other in a way we don't kiss people today like that, though. 
about three years ago, I was hosting one of our worship services and it was streaming out and uh, the worship pastor says, you know, do the meet and greet thing. And so I come out to uh, welcome people. And uh, and so I turned to the worship pastor. I said, what? You didn't say greet each other with a holy kiss, man. And uh, it was just he and I and nobody in the house heard that. But because the services were streamed, my microphone was hot for the streaming part. So my wife happened to be home watching the service streaming and immediately texts me as soon as I walked off that platform with what? Holy kiss. You shouldn't say that. <laughs> so, uh, no, that, well, and, and also, uh, I don't know if you've ever done this. I don't know how close you are to Dr. Walton, but, um, every now and then when I'm teaching or preaching on something in the old Testament that really stumps me, I'll send him an email and, and, uh, I come up with a really great way to preach it. I come up with an excellent point, keen insight. And then John will always say, yeah, that's not what that means. Sorry. And he's ruined. I've told him this. I said, you have, John, you have ruined more of my really keen insights into the Old Testament than, uh, than I can count. But, uh, but I do obey the good Old Testament professor toe to toe. I would never go up against Dr. Walton. So, uh, hopefully we'll sell some of his stuff too on this day. And that wouldn't be so bad. He's got a whole series on uh, the first few uh, chapters of Genesis that are excellent. Yeah, the Lost World of Genesis one, the Lost World of the Flood, uh, a bunch of bunch of those. He, I mean, he has some um, um, stretching views that he, you know, he'll say like seems like a possibility. So, but I really always enjoy reading what he writes for sure. And also, I think what he does is he demonstrates we need to be going into the original context to try to make the most sense of what the scriptures say. Even if you don't agree with his conclusions, like he really is great at Bible study methods, in particular the Old Testament. That's right. There's a, well, while um, very progressive side of Christianity may not take the Bible seriously or dismiss parts of it, a uh, very conservative side sometimes just overlooks whole swaths or ignores uncomfortable bits and pieces without doing the heavy lifting and hard uh, study. So, well, and and that is you know we keep coming back to the a theme, and and for the you know and for the small groups because you have uh, you know for those listening you might not be like you have your life and you not might be hearing these things as much but your your children are your grandchildren are. Um, if you're a youth leader, like here, you know, the youth are hearing it. Um, I, was, uh, I was down in Phoenix at Scottsdale Bible Church, and I was speaking to their interns and their, their younger staff a couple months ago. And they, the youth leader there said they did a series called TikTok Theology, and they pulled out TikTok videos and then we're proactively addressing how to respond to them. In you know, they're, they're probably immersed in it already, but we have to be training these things. There was, there was a um, when we were having a Sunday night gathering. I had uh, I was getting some emails from someone named Brad, as I remember, and he was asking all of these complex questions out of Leviticus, and a lot were about sexuality or, or shrimp or those type of things. And I was taking the time to write back. And then finally I said, like, he kept, and then, like, after I sent him back, two minutes later I get another one. And I finally said, can we meet up? I can't keep answering all of these. And we met up on a Sunday, and it turned out he was a junior hire. And there was a website that's called evilbible.com. It's still up, evilbible.com. And it focuses on all of the evil-sounding Bible verses. So you had a kid 
in junior high that found them and he was looking at them all and then sending extracting out which they were and then asking me about them that that's why this information is out there and also right when you know we when you reach the same i was i I experienced it from my story i told you earlier like you get to your college years you're going to question faith life all of those things is just natural during those years you're going to be wondering is your faith your own or is it your parents faith so that's normal and questions are good but what's what is different today is now within three seconds you have tons of access on your phones to really vicious attacks of the bible extracting bible verses to an already somewhat biblically i use this word with gentleness illiterate you know uh christians who who and is undermining their confidence and faith and today it's so much easier to not be a christian you don't want to be hateful you don't want to be seen as you know morally uh you know, you're backwards with your morals and your ethic with your ethics. And and if you're in agreement, then you're seen as a hateful person to say that Jesus is the only way in a very pluralistic culture today, which, you know, that's seen as arrogant and and wicked. And we have to be training people how to respond to these things. And that's because it's the access is there. I grew up in a church where it was, I mean, three pastors in a row would use this same little expression. God said it. That settles it. I believe it. And hearing you that, 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 um, that wasn't working probably then. It'd be, yeah, that's, it's an overly simplistic way. It'd be like, God said it. Therefore I'm going to look at who did he write it to? When? Why? What's the genre? Um, you know, all of those things. And then I believe it. Right? You know, I, I, in fact, it's not I believe it to be true because everything in the scriptures, 100% of the original, all the original words that was in the original doctor, uh, I'm sorry, the original documents when the scriptures were written are 100% fully inspired by God. God did inspire every single word of the, of the originals. Um, but then it means that we have to put the effort into making sure that we're understanding them as correctly as possible. So did God say it? Yes. Do I believe it? Yes. But I want to make sure I'm believing what he really said. So, yeah. That takes it from being an easy bumper sticker and it really, uh, but it makes it, it, it helps, it helps a person understand what, what, what the core essence is of this that uh, in order to to make sense of this, you do have to dig into it. You do have to study. No, absolutely. It's an ancient doc. People spend, you know, this is the criticism most God. I mean, one, uh, it's not an easy book to understand at times. So we do have to put more people. I mean, I know I did. I, I mean, I still, I still, I read a ton about music and musicians and, and, and all of this, we put so much effort into learning about other things. And this is the most important thing in life. Um, absolutely. And I just think, you know, that's why for you and your small group networks and all of the things that you're doing, like, that's where you're really going to also have good dialogue and get into content together. So that's a wonderful thing. Sermons are wonderful too, but you really kind of have that exponential uh, understanding and growing when you're in it yourself in the context of a smaller group discussing, 
you know, having a resource and then the scriptures, whatever it might be, to make sure that you're not just the loudest voice in the small group wins because that person might be, you know. Um, when you're, because uh, I'm, you, I'm sure the type of ministry that you lead, you have new people, new, new to the faith, exploring the faith, coming in, um, and someone says, "All right, I want to, I'm going to try to do this Bible thing." Where do you tell them to start? I remember uh, when I was growing as a young fellow, I was either trying to score brownie points with the youth pastor or or I hope it was the spirit. And, and I, I said to the youth pastor, I was probably sixth grade, seventh grade, and said, hey, I, I think I've never read the Bible. Where should I start? And he said, read the gospel, John. Uh, at least I think that's what he said. Now that as I'm an adult, I'm pretty sure that's what he said. Um, but all I had was a King James Bible. And it started with, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It made no sense to me as a kid. So right, I thought, right. he, he wouldn't have told me to start here. This doesn't make any sense. So I, I knew there was another John, and I got to First John, which kind of looped around about love, but also indicated that if you kept sinning, you were going to go to hell, or at least that's what it seemed. So I just kind of set it down. And it was a couple more years before I even had the courage to pick it up again. So uh, you might actually, as I've asked you, where do you start? You might go like Gospel of John, and that's okay. But I'm just curious, is there a place where you go, this is a good place to start? Yeah, I, I normally say Luke and then read the book of Acts. Um, because Luke was, you know, written more in an investigative way. Uh, it focuses on Jesus to start, but also it depends. If you're meeting with individuals, then you, it's really important they understand Luke is part of a broader story. You know, that's why in the book, I also have that big diagram. We use it all the time in our church, you know, about the Bible storyline from beginning to end. And then you can see where the book of Luke fits in the larger storyline. You don't pick up Lord of the Rings, you know, and, um, you know, generally start with Return of the King without understanding the front part. You can read it, but you kind of have to you know, it makes a lot more sense when you read, you know, the uh, Fellowship of the Ring, the Two Towers, before you read the Return of the King, you know. And and so I think it's, as you speak about it, in our church, we talk about this all the time. You know, like, we, whenever, if you're talking about First Thessalonians, we'll spend a whole Sunday just on what, where was, what was going on, what, where is Thessalonica? What was going on at the time? Who are the key players that, you know, why was, what was happening so that we spend an entire Sunday just on that before we get into verse one, because we're setting up why, who wrote it, why, what was happening to understand it more. That's what the Bible project is really good at. We often will play a Bible project video, but back to your question, usually Luke and then the book of Acts, because then you can see the follow through. When you understand Acts, then you can understand why Ephesians and Philippians and all those other books are written as well. Um, but our church, we do this, I don't know how many times a year, a bunch of times a year, a basic um, one afternoon how to read the Bible class. And uh, and we just do it because so I was like, I can't tell you how many times, like, you got to read the scriptures, right? But then, um, but read them, read them. But then someone has to say, how do you read them? And so we have like about a three-hour class that we do on Sunday afternoons, and we do it. I don't. I bet every every seems like every two to three months we do it. Um, and whether there's ten people or the last time there's about thirty-five, we did it a couple weeks ago. Is to that helps tremendously. We need to be teaching people how to read the Bible on their own. 
uh, you know, there's this saying, if you feed it, I'm going to misquote it, feed a man a fish and you feed them for, the, for a day, teach a man to fish and you feed them for a lifetime. I've taken that and you can twist it to, you know, uh, feed a man a sermon or one, a sermon, and you feed them for a day, teach them how to feed themselves from the scriptures, and you feed them for a lifetime. So I just think we have to have that in our in our local church cultures as well. Well, and I love that. That's a very even practical suggestion that people uh, listening right now who might lead an adult education arena in their church, small group director, otherwise, even even having a, a special either small group or a class that does a how to read the Bible, how to approach the Bible, and. Uh, and uh, the good news is they uh, have a resource right here with you. And so, uh, Dan, thanks for being on. What um, If someone wants to either connect with you, follow what you're doing, I know you're very active on social media. What's the best platform or the best space for them to keep tabs on what you're doing? Yeah, it, it's, um, I mean, the what, dankimble.com my name d-a-n-k-i-m-b-a-l-l.com and uh, i'm on I, I took a five-year break from social media and i could tell you i didn't miss it at all it was like when our daughters were in high school and i didn't go on once for uh anything so i've been back on since i put out this book because you have to be interacting with people and over COVID, i did for our, our church but um but that's that'll that links to the other i'm on i'm on it just to stay, can, I'm, I'm finding myself asking questions on social media more often to like try to hear input from people and see what is spiking emotions. You don't just post like a, a interesting meme. It you really do interact and you see you solicit feedback. I mean, you you asked a, a question most recently. Uh, I thought was fascinating. I don't know if it was for your a class you're teaching or if it was for your for your uh, church, but it was, you know, for those who I think are more on the complementarian side when it comes mm-hmm. to women, do you use uh, books or materials uh, written, prepared by women? And what I really appreciate, Dan, is there's no snarkiness in the comment. I don't sense any, it's a true curiosity. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a conversation. And so uh, not everybody picks up on that on social media, but uh, I can, no, some obviously jump in, but you know you see the emotions come up. I mean, it's a it's a tough medium to always interact on, but it is how we are, how we're how we're doing that today for sure. You know, I'm working on a, a, a it's almost done. It's called How Not to Go to Church, and it's an apologetic for the local church because I do think the local church is is becoming more and more dismissed as not necessary in someone's life or. I can just be church with my friends or the church is all toxic and it's all trauma. And so therefore like, and then, so really it's, it's an apologetic for the local church, whether you're a house church or a mega church, an Anglican church or a pop rock and roll church, whatever. Um, the look, I'm, it's a strong statement to say without being part of a local church of some sort, you will not grow and fight, grow and thrive the way you are meant to as a follower of Jesus. And some people do not want to hear that at all. Um, and so I've asked a couple of questions about that, but it is totally true. It is. And, and, and it's interesting. The local church is being so critic, understandable, like, you know, there's crazy stuff in the news, but 90 
plus percent of churches are not like the ones that you hear about in the news. So, you know, and, and, and the local churches are beautiful and good and, of course, make mistakes, but then they will usually, you know, say you're sorry when you make mistakes. It's just, but now it's like becoming an enemy almost, you know, so I took the same approach and it's going to be how not to go to church and it's an, a pro the most pro-local church book you could possibly imagine, but not ignoring the, the criticisms of today. Oh, uh, it was due January 19th, so um, I'm behind on turning it in. Yeah, so probably another, probably 2020, probably fall of 23 now or something like that, I bet. So. Yeah, no, I'm still really focusing on how not to read the Bible because it's so pertinent and, and uh, you know, and the, like you said, the video curriculum just came out last month. Um, so it's uh, Zondervan did an amazing job with it. And I was the first one that they brought in actual big props, uh, I, you know, giant unicorn, blow up unicorn. And I thought your props were awesome. I thought the set was no, great. No. And my small group, as we were going through it, we just finished this six parts very well done. I, I highly recommend it if you have a, if you're leading a small group and you have readers and non-readers in your small group, this is the perfect resource. The readers can read the book, the non-readers can glean from the readers, but then they can watch Dan teach. But the videos were so well done. You're very articulate. And then every now and then someone would say, hey, pause. I want to, can we like see what, what's that in the background? The props were pretty cool. Yeah, no, they, they did. It was Sondervan folks, uh, John Raymond and TJ and their team did a wonderful job in creating all the props. And from what I, and I was talking to them like, yeah, like the sort of spoil them because they've never put out so many, like the next one's just gonna be like a fireplace and a, and a couch or something. And mine had unicorns and flying things and all that around the place. Hold out, Dan, the next one, the next one's yeah. going to be awesome. You, yeah, I can't wait yep. to see the props next one. Uh, my guest has been Dan Kimball. You can find him at dankimball.com. Follow him on social media. Get this book, How Not to Read the Bible. You will not be disappointed. You will love it, and you will learn a lot. It'll give you some great resources. Dan, thanks for being on the show today. Really appreciate you and your ministry. Thank you for your ministry and what you do to encourage you know um, leaders and and more than ever to be in the scriptures in community. So thank you for all that you're doing. All right. Well, you've been joining us on the leadership journey. I'm your host, Bill Search. We've had uh, Dan Kimball on. Hope you've enjoyed. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Leadership Journey, part of the Group Talk Network of podcasts. If you like what you've heard, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you want to learn more, make sure you check out smallgroupnetwork.com for more resources. Hi, it's James Browning again. I wanted to let you know that we have a big event coming up this July. We are combining our Align and Accelerate training workshops for small group point people just like you. Day one will feature Align, a training overview of small group ministry covering the big pictures and strategies of small group ministry, plus how to align it with your church's mission and vision. It's perfect for those new or returning to small group ministry. Days two and three are Accelerate, an intensive workshop that dives deep into small group strategies. You and your team will come out with a 12 to 18 month plan for your small groups. This workshop is perfect for churches 
who want to take their existing small group ministry to the next level. This event takes place at the Saddleback Rancho Retreat Center in beautiful San Juan Capistrano, California. Lodging and lunches are included. You have the flexibility of choosing to attend Align or Accelerate or get a discounted rate for attending both. Oh, and if you happen to be an All Access member, your whole team always gets 50% off. So we'll see you this July 11th through 13th at Align and Accelerate. For more information, go to smallgroupnetwork.com slash conferences or check it out in the show notes.